John chapter 10, verses one through 16. Jesus says to us, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus, we thank you that we get to open your word today. Lord, that we get to hear the voice of our shepherd. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for your spirit that breathed out these words through the apostle John, that we can have confidence knowing we hear from God when we read your word. And I thank you, your spirit just confirms that, that your sheep recognize your word and recognize your voice. And like sheep today, Lord, we just come to to feed on your word, to feed on you, to hear from you. Lord, like sheep, we are so prone to wander. And I thank you that you have gathered this flock together right now to hear from you. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you correct us and, and, and redirect us the way that we should go? Even now, thank you that you make us to lie down and to be still and to, to close our mouths and to open our ears to hear your word. Thank you that you're a good shepherd who laid your life down for the sheep. You, you care for us. You have purchased us. We belong to you, Jesus. And I thank you for all that we will see about you this morning in your word. We love you, God. Give us ears to hear. Help us uh, fight these distractions of the worries of our life and uh, even just the physical things around us. Help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, to fix our gaze on our shepherd, to study your word together and to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, if you lived in a country or an area where, where shepherding sheep was common, you would be familiar with a site. I didn't even know this was a thing when I read about it in a commentary this week. I didn't believe it. I had to go Google it and you can YouTube it. And it's, it's amazing. Um, you would, you would be familiar with the sight of a sheep on its back, unable to get up. Uh, this is a very common thing that happens to sheep. It's called being cast, where it's particularly, it happens to big, healthy, strong sheep. When they lay down for a rest, if they, if they, if uh, their center of gravity gets a little bit too off, they roll completely on their backs and their legs can't bend. And no matter what they do, no matter how hard they struggle, they're stuck on their back. And the sheep has these gases in its stomach. And if it's, if it's stuck on its back for a matter of three hours, that sheep will die. That sheep will die because it didn't have a shepherd to simply come over and roll it over so it can stand up. Sheep are so helpless that they cannot even lie down safely apart from their shepherd. And the Bible says time and time again that you and I are sheep. That the best metaphor for what we are like in this life is sheep. We cannot even rest apart from our shepherd safely. We need a shepherd. And and today, as we look again at this text where we see these truths about who Jesus is, we see the, the pinnacle I am statement where he says, I am the good shepherd. We're gonna see six more characteristics of what Jesus is like and how good that is for us sheep who so desperately need a shepherd. If, if you weren't here last week, we saw together that the good shepherd speaks to his sheep and the, the sheep recognize his voice that he can call them out of a common sheepfold and, and they will separate themselves from other sheep and they will follow their shepherd out. We saw that Jesus, the good shepherd, personally leads his sheep. He goes before them. We see that he leads them to to feed them to green pastures. We saw that he is good and he's good because he lays down his life for his sheep. And because he lays down his life for his sheep, he twice owns his sheep. He purchased them with his own blood. We saw those characteristics of Jesus, our good shepherd last week. And if you remember, we were asking two questions. Number one, what is Jesus like? And number two, what is a good under shepherd like? What should I hope for and expect in an under shepherd? What should I be like as I try to shepherd whoever is in my life? It may be friends, disciples, it may be spouses, it may be children, it may be our neighbors. What am I to be like? What am I to hope for in a good shepherd and a good under shepherd that through which Jesus builds his church? So we're gonna see six more qualities today we're picking up at verse 11 and the first quality we're going to see this morning is this the good shepherd fights for his sheep the good shepherd fights for his sheep look with me again at verse 11 and 12 i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
we, we see so often in this text, Jesus is the good shepherd because he's comparing and contrasting himself with an unfaithful shepherd. And unlike a hired hand who, who's just there for a paycheck, and when he sees a threat to his life coming, he says, hey, I'm here for a paycheck. I, I'm not here to lay down my life. Unlike a hired hand who, who sees danger and, and flees, Jesus is the good shepherd who's willing to even lay down his life for his sheep, who fights for his sheep. Now, it's funny, we're, we're so, you know, most of us are so removed from, from the, what, it, what this metaphor would have meant to a Jewish ear in Palestine 2,000 years ago, where they understood this metaphor. Uh, you know, we don't think of shepherding as like a, like a dangerous, extreme job. We tend to think of it as a very safe job, a very easy, relaxed job. But I did a little bit of research and in Israel at the time of Jesus, there were three major predators. There was the Arabian wolf. Did you know, do you ever think about that? There are wolves in Israel to this day, the Arabian wolf. It's a native wolf. It's a gray wolf and they roam the deserts of Israel. There's also what was called as the Syrian brown bear. And a brown bear is the same species as a grizzly bear in North America. There were Israeli grizzly bears literally wandering around the deserts. And then there was the Asiatic lion, which is basically just looks exactly like an African lion. And they just come right up from Africa. So if you were a shepherd... You would have to be ready if you were by yourself with a bunch of sheep to defend your life and your sheep's lives from wolves, from bears, and from lions. That's literally part of the job. And we, we, we hear that story of young David when he was trying to convince King Saul, let me fight Goliath. Again, this was risky for Saul to let this young kid fight a, a giant because if David lost... That, that whole battle was lost. And David said, I have literally killed bears and lions. David was a young man who knew how to defend himself and his sheep from bears and lions. In Ezekiel 34, 22, Yahweh says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. This isn't like, Happy cows come from California where they just sit in the sun and lay around. This is like you're fighting wild animals. This is part of the job. And Jesus is the good shepherd who, who can, who fulfills what the psalmist says in Psalm 121 verse four. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I don't know if you've ever gone camping where there are bears, um, even in California, where there are black bears, where you're, you're pretty much safe. The bears are way more afraid of you. I don't know if you've ever been camping where there are wolves or bears, but a shepherd would be by himself in the woods, listening to wolves and bears and lions. And so the psalmist says, but Yahweh will watch you and Yahweh doesn't sleep. Yahweh, you don't need to be afraid that your shepherd is just going to be sleeping deep while a wolf come and picks off the flock. Jesus is the fulfillment of what David longed for and put his hope in in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
in, in Bible times, people literally feared for their lives to just be outside around these predators. And shepherds were on the front lines of these predators coming. And what did they have? It's like going in the woods and, and painting yourself with honey. You're in the woods with these helpless sheep, just neighing, just inviting all the predators to come. That was part of the job. And Jesus says, but I am the good shepherd and my sheep do not need to be afraid of predators. They will not be a prey when I am around. Now, Christian, no attack on you from any predator to your soul will be unmet by your shepherd. No attack to you. There is not a time when you have been attacked in any way where Jesus, your shepherd, didn't show up. That is true for you. Look even down in John 10 at verse 28. Jesus is continuing this metaphor as he's the good shepherd. He says, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. Hear this. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. You have a good shepherd. Dare I say a manly shepherd, one who will fight for his sheep, who can destroy lions and bears and wolves. One who the lions and bears and wolves are afraid of. One who a lion or, or bear or wolf has drawn near and experienced the sharp strike of the shepherd's staff. That's your shepherd. Now, now practically, really, how, how does this work? How has Jesus fought for you? Well, first he laid his life down for you. He was your substitute. Again, the sheep's greatest liability is itself. <laughs> it can't sleep. It can't eat. It can't find its way apart from its shepherd. And it is true of us. We like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us have strayed from our God. We have rebelled against our God. And when you are a sinful person and there is a holy God, you are your own worst enemy. Satan's not your worst enemy. Our sin is our worst enemy. And yet your shepherd laid down his life for your worst enemy, which was your sin. You in rebellion. He was your substitute. And when you trust in Christ, he says, I'll take your sin. I'll take the wrath of God and you can become my righteousness. That's an incredible way that he has fought for you. And now you need not fear drawing near to a holy God because you have the righteousness of Jesus. That, amen, I mean, what is better than that? Not only that, he has conquered, he has fought the enemy of death. We, we need not fear death. We need not fear spiritual death and we need not fear physical death. I, I love this, I, I never noticed this in Psalm 23, where is death in that psalm. Is death at the end of the psalm? No, it shows up in the middle of the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, every one of us, unless we're raptured first, every one of us 
will walk through that valley and die. But guess what? That's not the end of the Psalm. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I need not fear this valley. When you're on your deathbed, we need not fear that valley. That's not the end of the Psalm. He has conquered death for my own daughter. When I think of, is she gonna die, Lord? I just have to remember, Psalm 23 says, death isn't the end of the Psalm. David said of his own child who died, I'll see him again. Death is not at the end of the Psalm. Death is a defeated enemy. And so as his sheep, we need not fear our sin and we need not fear death. Well, what about wolves? What about Satan, that roaring lion who's prowling, trying to get me? Shouldn't I be afraid of him? Well, another way Jesus fights for you is he provides you with this thing called the armor of God. And that passage begins, it says, finally be strong. What does it say? In the Lord. Jesus fights for you. It's his strength that is your protection from Satan. In the strength of his might. And, and remember, that armor is not like our armor. It's his. It's a helmet of salvation. We remember when Satan's lying to our minds, no. I'm saved. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. When, when Satan prowls around and, and points us to our guilt and sin and shame, we say, no, I have a breastplate of righteousness, Satan. Remember, I am righteous in Christ. We put on the, the belt of truth. When he lies to us as the father of lies, we remember what God says is true. We're given the sword of the spirit. There's something that Satan's afraid of and it's the Bible, and we fight back against him with the word of God that God has entrusted. He's given you a sword to fight Satan. We fight him with the shoes that are ready to speak the gospel because do you know what the gospel is? It's nothing other than the defeat of Satan. We, as our shoes, as, as Paul says, you will soon trample Satan under your feet. How do we do that? Because we tell people the gospel. There's this story where Satan, that serpent has been crushed on the cross. And we wear that around every step we take as Christians is a reminder that Satan has been crushed. We fight against our enemy with the strength and might and tools and weapons he has provided for us. And third, how does Jesus fight for us? Well, he gives us faithful under shepherds. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says to elders, wolves will come from among you, from your own church. This is like the early church. The church that we love to say is the one we wanna be like. Well, if wolves are coming in the Ephesian, Ephesian church, then they're certainly coming in ours. And so we should expect that. But what does he do? But he appoints faithful under shepherds, faithful men who as 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we destroy arguments, strongholds. As Colossians 2, 8 says, shepherds are able to point out empty philosophies, empty deceit, human traditions, faithful men who don't show up on Sunday and just say, do you know what? Let me just make you feel good. No, there to be shepherds saying, here are some wolves. 
You need to be aware of the wolves that are coming from within, maybe your own church, within the American church, in podcasts, in books, in, in seminaries. We need to be aware and ready for these things. And so as a sheep, are you listening for that? Are you, are you listening? Does this, does this truth sound like the world or does it sound like my good shepherd who, who will fight against these, these lies? What are you thinking about human sexuality, about gender, about racial tensions, about the definition of sin? Not as a system, but a personal rebellion against God. What are you thinking about these things? The world is infiltrating through wolves into the church and it's redefining these things. What do you think about these things? Are you aware of teachers that put the, the main thing on your experience and your emotions over what is true in God's word? Are you, are you thinking, are you noticing shepherds that promise you physical and emotional and financial prosperity in this life? Do you remember, that's what Satan promised Jesus. We're promised those things in the next life. Are you aware? Are you listening for these wolves? Are you holding me and Travis and any other teacher accountable to teach the word, to fight off wolves? Again, this is, this is not just to come, let me feel good. We're in the woods with bears and lions and wolves around. A sheep is, yeah, he wants to feel good, but he also wants to be alive, right? Spiritually speaking, we should desire shepherds who are speaking honestly against wolves and false teaching and false doctrine. And so some practical things for you, choose your under shepherds wisely. Do they sound like a good shepherd? Do they do what a good shepherd would do to a wolf? And if you are an under shepherd, if you aspire to be one, are you aware of these threats to the precious flock that was purchased by the blood of Jesus? And so we see first and foremost in this, in this section here, Jesus fights for his sheep. He fights for us. And again, I just wanna say, isn't that good news that we do not fight for ourselves? Our hope against Satan, against our sin, against death, is not in our ability to fight, but it's in our shepherd's ability to fight for us. He has fought for us. He has fought for you. And he's fighting for you even now. Right now, seated at the right hand, as he's giving you his spirit, he is interceding and fighting and pleading for you. You have a good shepherd who fights for you. Secondly, we see, we'll notice, Jesus, the good shepherd, does not leave his sheep. Again, verse 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and here's the key word, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, we see that contrast with the, the hired hand who, listen, may not even be an evil guy. He's just like, honestly, I'm not trying. If you've ever had like a day job where you're working uh, a till, uh, the thing where the money comes in and out and someone holds you up, you're like, hey, this isn't my store. I'm, I, I'm not like obligated to die for Starbucks. Like take the money, honestly. That, fair enough, fair enough. That's fine. That's what a hired hand is expected to do. 
but contrast the hired hand with the good shepherd who says, this is mine. This is my store. These are my sheep. They belong to me. I'm not gonna let you come and take what is rightfully mine, what belongs to me, what I have purchased. He, he has purchased them with blood, sweat, tears, even years of labor. He's not gonna let a wolf just come and take them away. He's not going to leave when it's difficult. They belong to him. Again, modern Western shepherding is often done through a hired hand. We're used to that idea of a big corporation and then people get hired and they do the job. But in ancient and Eastern shepherding, almost always the shepherd was the owner. And if it wasn't the owner, it was the son of the owner who's like, man, my dad's gonna be mad at me if I don't come back with this flock. They, they, they personally owned the sheep. He's motivated to stay and not let his sheep be picked off. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who will never, who has never, will never enters his mind to leave his sheep. When things get difficult for you, he is not motivated to leave you. The very last words he says in the, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's a little ironic because he's like, see you later. And he goes up to heaven. But what he, we know he did is he sent his very spirit. And he said, that's even better than if he was physically here. Because if Jesus was physically here, he probably wouldn't be in Carpinteria. He'd probably be in Jerusalem. And we're like, man, it's cool. Jesus is here. I wish I could go be with him. But right now he is here in our church by his spirit. He is with his sheep. We are his temple. Psalm 23, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me. This is true. This is what Jesus says is true. And not to be too insensitive, but it really doesn't matter what it feels like. It's true. It doesn't matter in your worst moment when you feel abandoned by God. This is true. He is with you. Your own emotions, your own mind will lie to you. But Jesus will not lie to you. He's with you. He is always with you. Again, John 10, 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Do you know where you are right now? You are in the hands of Jesus. Right now, if you are a Christian, you are in his hands. No, no one is getting you out of them. Not even your clever little sheep feet. It, you're not getting out of his hands. No one is able to snatch you out of his hands. He is with you. He never leaves his sheep. In a little application, what does this mean for us as under shepherds? What should we expect even from our pastors? And, and I have to say the American church resembles a corporation with hired hands much more than it resembles the biblical idea of shepherds and their sheep. We have literally modeled the American church off of a business. We've literally done that. And we expect the CEO and we expect the board of trustees and we expect to know the quarterly reports and updates and the finances and we expect to have this great vision cast and then we expect the hired hands to go do their job. That is a business. 
Jesus said it's a lot more like a shepherd who knows his sheep. A shepherd who's just gonna stick around and be with them. That is a biblical image of ministry. You know, we have this saying here and it's beautiful and it's absolutely true. Ministry flows from intimacy. And that, that is true for any pastor and his relationship with the Lord, absolutely. But it's also true for any pastor and his relationship with the sheep. Ministry flows from intimacy, from a knowledge of his sheep, a personal care and love for his sheep. It's not hired off. It's not, here's your job description. Fair enough, if we have to do some of that in America, fair enough. And it's not an excuse to not do that well, but we're missing it if we think that is the picture of ministry. The picture of ministry is Jesus with 12 dudes walking around. (laughs) That's it. That's what it looks like. That's what a shepherd looks like. That's what ministry should look like. If you have this even call in your life, I want to do ministry. Let me just say, make sure you're doing that. Walking around with some sheep being in their lives, knowing about them, meeting with them, being available to them. And again, as I'm asking you to hold me accountable to be a faithful shepherd to fight wolves, I'm asking you, expecting you, please hold us to this. Let us know. We, we want to do our best, but listen, a sheep sometimes, you know, has a little cry. Hey, I need some help. And then hold us. We, we want to be there for you as faithful under shepherds. That is the picture of a good shepherd to his sheep. And so we see a good shepherd fights for his sheep, does not leave his sheep. Third, we see the good shepherd gathers the sheep. A good shepherd gathers the sheep. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and what's that key word? Scatters them. The wolf scatters them. If the wolf's goal is to scatter the sheep, and that's actually a a scientific fact. If you've ever seen how a wolf hunts, their goal is to run in to scatter the sheep and the the weak or the sick or the young expose themselves because all the sheep go fleeing, all the prey goes fleeing and the, the weak ones are lagging behind and the wolf says, that's my dinner. And they go after the weak one. It's the same thing with, with, with Christians. When the wolf comes, he, he's looking for individuals who are not a part of a gathering, who are off on their own, who feel safe on their computer with a pastor who lives thousands of miles away saying, I'm good. That's exactly what the wolf looks for. But a shepherd gathers the sheep. A shepherd says, you need to be with your friends in this pen under my care. A good shepherd gathers sheep. I'm going to read out of Jeremiah 23, this picture of shepherding. Isaiah 23 verses one through four. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock. You have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I 
will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. How good is it to see our God's care for sheep that are scattered. If you remember what broke Jesus's heart when he saw Jerusalem. He said they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're like sheep just scattered, trying to do their best to find food and protection. That breaks the heart of God. That literally brought our savior to tears when he saw sheep who had no flock to belong to. It is the desire of a good shepherd to gather. This is why we do what we do. This is the design weekly to check in. Again, nothing's more dangerous for us to be off on our own, shepherding ourselves. Listen, what happens if you roll on your back and you're by yourself? We need a shepherd to say, let me help you up. Let me care for you. Let me bring you to good pasture. No, don't stay in that area. There's a better one over here. Oh, you're sick. You maybe didn't know you're sick. Let me care for you. Did you know the word church means gathering? It literally means assembly. There is more to church than consuming a sermon. As foundational and primary as that is, it's not church if it's not a gathering. It is by definition not church if it's not a gathering. We need one another. We need shepherds to see us. We need to see one another. We need help. We need people checking in on us and we need to be checking in on another. We need the encouragement the Bible uses so often when it speaks of gathering. Encourage one another. Care for one another. And so a good shepherd fights for his sheep. He doesn't leave his sheep. He has a heart to gather the sheep. Number four, the good shepherd cares for his sheep. Verse 13, speaking of the hired hand, he flees because he is a hired hand and the key word and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, what? If it isn't obvious by now, that Jesus, who speaks to us and leads us and feeds us, lays his life down for us and calls us his own, who defends us and has never left us and gathers us. If it's not obvious that he actually cares for us, I don't know what, what, what could be more obvious. He cares. Jesus has a heart. He cares. He sees his sheep and he cares for them. A great temptation for a sheep. And it's, it's often made worse by the, the voice and lies of the enemy is that God doesn't care for you. He doesn't want your best. He doesn't want to give you life and life to the full. That was the lie in Genesis. We see it show up in the gospel, that same word cares. Mark 4, 34, remember when the disciples were just kind of getting to know Jesus and they were out in a boat and Jesus was taking a nap and it got stormy and they began to panic. And what did they accuse Jesus of? They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's the same word. Do you not care? 
in Luke chapter 10, remember when Jesus was over at the house of Martha and Mary? Mary was sitting at his feet and Martha was busy, distracted with much serving. What did she say to Jesus? She said, Lord, do you not care? Same word, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving all alone? We are tempted to think he doesn't care. He doesn't really care when he sees me and my troubles and my storms or my frustrations, it doesn't move him. He doesn't care. He's unable to care. And yet I love in 1 Peter chapter five, this is the chapter where we, we hear of Jesus as the chief shepherd. In, in 1 Peter five, verse seven, this is where that familiar verse shows up. It says, Cast, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? because he cares for you. Your good shepherd cares. He actually cares. Your troubles, your frustrations, your relational conflicts, he cares about them. He cares for his sheep. He doesn't leave and he fights because he cares for them. And again, at the beginning of 1 Peter 5, Peter's speaking to human under shepherds. And he says to them, you need to care like Jesus cares. Listen to these verses in uh, 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There is to be this real affection between us and Christ and us and faithful under shepherds. And so we see the good shepherd fights. He doesn't leave. He gathers, he cares. Number five, we see the good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And hear this, this is crazy talk. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He uses the word know. Now, we've, we've brought this up before. There's two no's in, in the Greek New Testament. One is oida, which is like immediate knowledge. It's like two plus two equals four. I know it. I get it. I see it. I know that, that this umbrella is here because I'm looking at it. And then there's this word gnosis, which speaks of uh, like learning or experience. It's a relational knowledge. I get to know you over time and that knowledge grows. It's not immediate. It grows. It's relational. It's, it speaks of intimacy and history and time and investment. In this text, Jesus uses the word gnosis. He knows in a relational sense. And we know that's true in a shepherd sheep metaphor. A shepherd knows his sheep because he has spent years with them. He was there when they were born. He knows what their personality is like. He knew what their parents were like. He knows everything there is to know about them. And then Jesus makes this comparison and hear me, 
There is literally no greater comparison he could have used than what he says in verse 15. Do you want to know how I know my sheep? I know my sheep as God the Father knows God the Son. There is no greater knowledge than what one member of the Godhead knows relationally about the other member of the Godhead. He says, as much as my father knows me, so I know you. And again, that's not information. That's not, I I know the facts about you. I know how many gray hairs there are on your head because I'm really smart. It's, I know you. I have this intimacy with you. We see this word come up in one of the greatest chapters, the one we love, one of the greatest verses in Romans 8, 28. Uh, or Romans 8, it says, just as those he, he foreknew, he so, so he predestined and predestined, he justified and justified, he glorified. And we often think of that as oida knowledge. He, he knows when he looks in the future, the foreknowledge, those who he will have a relationship with. But it's not that word. It's gnosis. It's to be foreknown by God, hear this, is to be loved by God in advance. It's from eternity past, he loved you. Like God the Father loved the Son, so he loved you from eternity past. That's insane. That's not cold head knowledge, that is warm heart knowledge. He knows you. And do you know what's crazy about Jesus knowing you? He knows everything about you, which means he knows the worst things about you which means he knows your sin and your weaknesses and your follies. And in eternity past, he still loved you. He doesn't pick a sheep and then discover something faulty about it and think, man, I wish I would have known that. You know, that yeah, the sheep's not cutting it in my flock. From eternity past, he saw you in all of your weakness and sin. And he said, that one's mine. And I love them. I love them and know them as the Father knows and loves me. That's why that Paul says that knowledge of God is, it surpasses understanding. It's too good to be true. And yet that's the very thing that we are to grow in. Jesus says, as I know the sheep, do you know what's even possibly crazier than God knowing us? Well, he is God after all. The fact that you could know him. That's crazy. That you could know him. That you could grow in the knowledge of God. That you could grow in that relational, intimate knowledge with him for all of eternity. And did you know, and this is breaking our human reason, you will grow in that knowledge forever. You won't get to the end. A million years from now, you're going to be growing in that knowledge of God. And a million years after that, you will be growing in the knowledge of God. That is the goal, the great end of a sheep, to know its shepherd more and more and more. So we see Jesus fights for us. He doesn't leave us. He gathers us. He cares for us. He knows us. And finally, the last truth we see in verse 16 is the good shepherd pursues lost sheep. Let's read that verse. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Again, probably the signature mark of a sheep is that it gets lost. Do you know what the signature mark of a shepherd is? He goes after his sheep. He goes after his lost sheep. And this is a a little bit of theology here, but notice the present tense in verse 16. I have other sheep. Jesus has other sheep that aren't yet his, so to speak. They don't yet know him, but he has them. They're his. He's gonna get them. He's purchased them. He laid his life down for them. He laid his life down for his bride and he's gonna see to it that he gets her. He has them. They belong to him. And in context, this is first speaking of the Gentiles. As in the Old Testament, the Jews were in the flock of God. He's saying here, there's there's other sheep that I'm gonna bring in. I'm gonna go after the Gentiles. And that's really where we fit into the story. If you ever wanted to see yourself in the Bible, you're in verse 16. Did you know that? You are one of these sheep that aren't, weren't yet his, that was a Gentile that was brought into the flock. This is where we fit in. We belong to him. We are his. And, and he, he goes after those who don't yet know him. But there's another, another truth that, that I want to press on us, uh, as Christians is not only does a good shepherd go after lost sheep as he does, he goes after his sheep that get lost, that wander off. Because even as his sheep who love him and know his voice and want to please him, who would stand up and say, do you know what? I didn't wander this week. I just walked with Jesus. It was awesome. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Psalm 119, 176. And if you remember Psalm 119, it's the Psalm where the psalmist is proclaiming his love for the word of God. And, and it's, he, he's speaking in a whole, he gives a whole stanza to every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And he ends the longest chapter in the Bible after he's proclaiming how much he loves God and loves his word. Do you know how that Psalm ends? It's amazing. Do you know how it ends? After all of that, verse 176, I, the psalmist, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. This is the one who was like, I love your word more than anything else. It's a lamp unto my feet. Where else would I go? He's being honest with himself. He's being honest with the Lord. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And what does he say? Seek your servant. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. If you've wandered off this week, like me, if you've wandered off, if, if you have yet to hear the voice of your shepherd call you by name at all, or if you've been walking with him for 50 years and you are still so prone to wander, this morning, as we are here together, your shepherd is, is, is wooing you to himself. He's calling you back home. He's calling you to the sheepfold. And, and, and the sheepfold is the only place where we will truly find our rest. Not off on our own, laying upside down, stuck in the woods. We can only truly rest. We can only truly find our rest in the, the presence of our shepherd.
We can only find our identity, our purpose, our joy and satisfaction in life as we draw near to our good shepherd who loves us, who leads us, who feeds us, who lays his life down for us, who fights for us all day long, who knows you and cares for you and sees the anxieties in your heart, the cares of your heart. He is saying, come to me and you will find your rest. So Jesus, as sheep, we draw near to you right now. Lord, if there is someone here who is yet to find rest in you as their shepherd, would they hear you say, come to me, acknowledge your sin before me, repent, turn from that and come to me as the one who has laid down his life for you and you will be saved and forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would, you would allow ears, you would open ears to hear the voice of the shepherd calling them home. And Lord, for those of us who are your sheep and have walked with you, we all acknowledge with the psalmist, we too have wandered off. We too have wandered in our hearts, in our minds, even in our actions. And Lord, we confess we need you. And right now, would we draw near to you, Jesus, in faith? And I thank you that we will find nothing but care and mercy and love and forgiveness and protection and satisfaction and rest and joy in you. So we draw near to you right now, Jesus. We draw near to worship you, to sing to you. And Lord, again, we, we thank you for laying your life down and shedding your blood.